There we go. Test. There we go. Uh, hello. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We'll continue to study the Lord's Prayer. And before we do, we should pray. We should thank Him for uh, His Word to be uh, instructed by the Holy Spirit. Be thankful for our Lord and Savior and to be humble and reverent before Him. So with that, let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, thank You for our opportunity to be together and to hear Your Word. Thank You that You have provided for us by means of Your Scripture, the instruction on all things that pertain to the life of Christ. And that, in our case that we're currently studying, that you reveal to us how to pray. We thank you for the privilege of praying and to be able to speak to you, knowing that our voices, our thoughts are going directly all the way to heaven to you, who are our Father forever and ever. We know that our Lord sits at your right hand as our mediator, that the Holy Spirit uh, helps our weakness when we don't know what to pray for or how to pray, that He gives us the strength and ability. And Father, therefore, the whole Trinity is engaged with us as we speak to You. So we ask, Father, that through Your Word, that each of us would be enlightened in the the means that would be uh, pleasing to You and that each of us needs. And we ask in Christ's name, Amen. So uh, today we're going to focus on the name of the Father. Uh, Holy is your name. I'm kind of backtracking here because we looked at uh, on Sunday the will of God uh, by means of Jesus Christ and the excellence of Jesus Christ. And and so, which is, you know, it's okay. You don't have to, obviously, I don't think you have to go line by line through this in order, because as you continue to explore your own prayer life, each of these uh, petitions are going to become clearer to you in their own way and in their own time. And in fact, we're going to be exploring all of them. If we continue to pray for the rest of our our lives, which uh, we, we must, uh, uh, what is uh, within each of these petitions will become clearer and clearer to us. The depth of them uh, are bottomless. The, uh, and each of them uh, pertain to a uh, foundational aspect of God and His plan for the human race, the, His plan for us. So Christ said in Matthew 6, 9, Pray then in this way, or thus therefore you pray. Is more literal. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, when we pray our Father who is in heaven, we realize, as we've already looked at, 
that we are in the presence of heaven, that our voices, our thoughts are in heaven, heard in heaven. And he is, the one we're praying to, literally and eternally our Father. This, that, therefore, this, says Christ, should be our first desire. And it's important that it's first because it's praising the Father for who he is. And then the rest of the petitions following kind, and it makes sense of their order. That if we praise the Father for who he is, uh, then we uh, understand that he is the head of a kingdom. Uh, And therefore, what gives value to the kingdom is the king. And then to be in the kingdom, uh, you are under the will of God. And uh, in the eternal state, when the kingdom of God is is forever established and we're there physically in our resurrection bodies, we're never going to sin again. And so God's will will be done. But all of these things we can do now, though we're not going to be sinlessly perfect. But <clears throat> we're also going to praise God in heaven uh, the, the, at the marriage feast of us and the Lamb in Revelation 19. We praise him. We praise his glory. We rejoice uh, the bride does, and we do that in heaven, uh, in, in the midst of, it's a great, roarous um, hallelujah. It, it really is, is, that's where the hallelujahs are in the New Testament, are at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Uh, so, the uh, hallowed or holy is the verb hagiazo, it's in the imperative, as are all these petitions. Uh, imperative means it's a command, but the command's coming from us to the Father, but that doesn't mean we're commanding him. In uh, Greek, it's more of an intense request. So it is a request because it's a prayer. But because it's in the imperative, it's intense. Uh, Jesus does not want us passively just saying the words or not caring about what these petitions are because petitions are desires. Uh, and if, if they don't mean anything to us, we're not going really, to discover anything about them. Uh, so, you know, if your finger in the beads in the Catholic Church and you don't know anything about or care about what these words mean, every time you get to a large bead on your uh, rosary, you say this prayer. And if you're saying it over and over and over without a, you know, a care for understanding for what the words mean or what the thoughts are, what the principles are, then you're never going to understand what it means at all. And you're not going to discover what these things are. And so, the first order of business that Christ wants us to uh, discover is the desire for God to be holy in our hearts, in our lives, and in the lives of others. And in fact, the whole world. We should desire that the whole world revere God for who he is. And so that's what hallowed means. Hallowed uh, is this word, hagiazo. It means to sanctify. It means to make holy. It is the word, the noun is the word for saint. And uh, uh, hallowed means to sanctify or revere or to keep holy. It is our desire for ourselves, for the body of Christ, and for the world. And so <clears throat> the, uh, what we want holy here or sanctified Uh, is the name of God. And what does the name of God stand for? Uh, First, we should know that man has not given God a name. 
Uh, man had named many people, things, and false gods. Uh, but God's names are all given by himself. Uh, Israel never gave God a name. God said to Moses, I am that I am. Right? So that is the name of God. Uh, and God always gave these names. Uh, so what does it stand for? Uh, the word, uh, the name in Israel, it was uh, the name of God was revered as God. Uh, the four-letter Y W H W uh, Yahvah is really what it, the right pronunciation I think is Yahvah. Jehovah is we know completely wrong, uh, and we know there's a reason for that because uh, some about 300 years before Christ. Three to four hundred years before Christ, more like three hundred, the Jews stopped saying Jehovah. They, well, they never said Jehovah. Whatever, however they pronounced it, Yahweh or Yahvah, they they uh, stopped pronouncing it, and they only called God Adonai, which is a name for him in the Scripture. But Adonai is more of a title that means Sir or Master. But the name is Yahweh or uh, Yahweh. They stopped saying it. They said, the name of God's too holy. We shouldn't say it from our lips. And in fact, the Jews still practice this in our day. Uh, when they write God, they write G-D. They won't put the O. So in that way, they're revering the name. It, <clears throat> as misplaced as that is, they're still revering the name. So it's not completely wrong. Uh, so that others would not pronounce the name of God when they invented vowel points. And, and so if you ever look at Hebrew words, they've got little dots on the top and on the bottom, but in the original Hebrew, those dots weren't there. And that's because the Hebrew language is all consonants. And it has, very, it has only like two vowels or one vowel, really. And even that is not used as a vowel. So um, they put just consonants right next to each other. So, you know, Y-H, how do you pronounce it? Is it yeah? Is it ya? Is it yo? <laughs> you know, and, but there's no vowel there. And, but to pronounce it, you have to have a vowel. You can't say Y-H. I mean, unless you just go, I guess, I don't know. But, uh, and, and so they put in, they purposely put in the wrong vowel points. For the name, and that's where Jehovah comes from. Jehovah, that O was never there, and that, and so it, it was purposely done to pronounce it wrong. Uh, and so, anyway, the the point being is that uh, the name of God was revered, and when when God summoned Moses to the burning bush, He said to Moses, "Take off your shoes. Why?" Because you're on holy ground. And then he said, this is my name. Ehye asher ehye. I am that what I am. And ehye is where we get, is the root word for Yavah or Yahweh. <clears throat> so Yahweh means self-existent one. It means I am. And that's why Jesus said, I am, so much. Uh, he said it multiple times, especially in the, in the Gospel of John. And so much of in the epistles is written, he is. And then whatever comes as the object, 
of is is an attribute of God. He is the I am. So God's name, or hallowed be your name, uh, sorry, refers to God himself. And the purpose of the petition is to express this desire as we pray daily, we're searching out, expressing, and again, we can't lie to God. We're in this inner room with this omniscient God. Is His name really holy to you? And you're saying it. This is why the Lord tells us to say this. We're saying you are holy. Now pause for a second. Do you really think that? And I mean, if you're taking serious what you're saying, you're kind of painted into a corner. And Jesus did this on purpose. He's forcing us to either revere God's name as holy or to not. But he makes us confront it. So your name, again, refers to God. The purpose of this petition is to express this desire that God himself is revered. But not just with me, but with others, with the world. Do we want the world to reveal the name of God? Or are only we concerned with ourselves? But we find out if we do start revering the, word, the, the name of God, that we will have love like he loves, and he, he loved the world. God came to seek and to save the lost, which is the sinners, even our enemies. So when that desire becomes a reality in us, and it must, That's when we start seeing that we want to do the things that revere his name. Um, And that is to be holy ourselves. That is when we start to see and desire his light to shine through us to others. And in fact, if we really desire his name to be holy, we'll find ourselves spontaneously doing and saying the things that reveal Christ to others. And so Jesus has given us a way to pray that will instill in us the desire to God to be revered. That should be for God to be revered, sanctified, and honored. And over time, if we don't, then we're just saying the words, and we'll know that. Now, a lot of people are content with just saying the words, and they're not studying the word. (laughs) They're saying the words, but they're not seeking to know the words. And see, in your scripture, all behind this are principles and thoughts and ideas that God wants us to have in our own hearts concerning him. The word has to go in here, in our hearts. And God has made us new creatures in Christ by which the word now can be etched or written upon our hearts. That's a part of the new covenant. And so we can actually take this because we have the Holy Spirit within. Uh, we have, uh, we're new creatures made in his image, Colossians 3.10. And we can take these words and now instead of just memorizing them or knowing about them, we can etch them on our hearts. And what that really means is, is that we can make them a part of our very person. When they're a part of our very person, we can spontaneously, we will spontaneously do them spontaneously think them, and they become us. So when you say the word becomes us, then what do we mean? That we've memorized it? No, and maybe we have, but that doesn't matter. What, what matters is, is that the thoughts, the reality 
of the thoughts and ideas and truths that are in this word, whether it's in English or in any other language, is a part of us. How we think about God is extremely important. How we think about ourselves, how we think about others, those are real thoughts that become a part of us. And, And how we do that, you know, what those thoughts are, are extremely important. The most important thing, the most important thoughts that you have are about God. Are they true? Are they real? And if they are, if you have faith in them, then you will be obedient. And we'll see that. This is also in this prayer, your will be done. Christ is going to force us to confront our obedience, which is a result of our faith. So, um, let's look at some names. Names of God in the Old Testament. These are really fun. Uh, Go to Psalm chapter 7. Now, first, the main ones. El, or Elohim. This is... Uh, there's no point in me giving you references on this name, or I should say these names, because it's used thousands of times in the Scripture. El or Elohim. Elohim is the plural of El. And so uh, it means strength and power, and where God is there revealing His strength and His power uh, when we're, again, now, Don't disconnect this now. Now that we're leaving the Lord's Prayer to look at names, don't forget that this is connected to the Lord's Prayer. We are in prayer seeking to revere and desire that this name, these names, are uh, a reality in our own hearts. So, to to sanctify or to make holy the name El is to say to myself, strength is where? In God alone. Strength is not in me, but strength will be in me. Strength is not in me alone, but it will be in me when I have faith and obedience in His Word and I trust the Holy Spirit to make that happen. In other words, I'm going to do His will. And strength is going to flow from that. And that's sanctifying God's strength. You're setting that apart. It's not my strength. It's not the strength of some substance. It's not the strength of some entertainment. It's not uh, my ideas about how much money I have or my ideas about my status or how great my life is right now, if that's true. Uh, But strength, or say my life is in the toilet. I say, well, I'm weak. Well, then you're sanctifying yourself. Right? You're, if we say strength comes from us, we're making ourselves sanctified, right? setting ourselves apart as the uh, source of strength. And so El or Elohim is a source of power. Yavah, or however you want to pronounce that, that's what the name is in Hebrew, Y-H-W-H. There's no vowels on it. So that's why you can get Yahweh, or Yavah, that W is a is a vod, uh, not a yod, a, a vav, and and the vav is can be a w or a v, either one. So Yavah or Yahweh 
Uh, it's definitely not Jehovah, but it doesn't matter how you say it. I guess you could say Yahweh. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you say it. What matters is you know him. Now, what does this name mean? It means the self-existent one. This is the eternal one. In other words, no beginning and no end. And so, setting God's name apart is existence. We say, well, that's kind of you know mystical or existential, but it's not. We think of our existence all the time. Our existence is what? Is it him? Or is it just me? Is this just my life and my existence and what's going on with me? And how easily we can get ourselves just hyper-focused on what's going around in my little world? And I'm focused on me and what's wrong with me and who's doing what to me and who's leaving me, who's with me, who's trying to hurt me, who, whatever. Me, 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 me. But it's, you know, Yavah is him. Him. Yeah, you know, I was uh, I was teaching uh, today. Today's the last day of school for me for the semester. It's finally over. Thank God. This was a this semester was a rough one. Uh, <coughs> anyway, uh, I taught on the the marriage supper of the Lamb today this morning, and uh, it was really quite interesting. It was the first time I've ever taught. Uh, there there were more people there than there is in my church. That that was one in my theology class. That was an eye-opener. But that was refreshing. It was like I was at a conference or something. But um, also, you know, teaching young kids, it was different. But once I got my my sea legs, I was fine. Uh, But in the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is in Revelation 19, it's in the future. It's right before Christ comes back. And it's us in heaven with him. Everything here on earth is done for us. The sin, the evil, the lack of faith, the doubt, the, the, all the bad stuff. It's gone. And it dawned on me, because this is a feast. It's a marriage supper. You know, the, the word supper is used. And there's a bunch of suppers that happen in the Gospels that Christ is attending. Right? This is his marriage supper in Revelation 19. But we also find him at a supper at Mary and Martha's house. And at Mary and Martha's house, we got Martha nagging Christ to get Mary off her lazy tush and help her with dinner. And so there's this conflict, right? And then we see Christ at a, a supper at a Pharisee's house. And this woman, who we presume to be a prostitute, sneaks in there and weeps on his feet and dries his hair with his feet. And the Pharisee, who's sitting there, says, oh, if he knew what kind of woman this was, he wouldn't let her touch him. And you know, he's, he's off base. <clears throat> There's another feast after Lazarus is resurrected. Here's Jesus again. It's just a few days before his, his, his cross. And Mary, the one who loved him so much, brings out this expensive perfume. It's a year's worth of wage. And she anoints his head and his feet with it. And then it's just a little bit later where Judas says, well, you know, we could have sold that and used it for the poor. And what we, you have to read two different Gospels there because you find out in another Gospel, I can't remember which one is which, that the rest of the disciples are like, yeah, Judas, you're right. We could have sold that. They all went with it. 
And then at the Last Supper, first off, you got Judas Iscariot there again, and he's betraying the Lord. And then we also see that the other disciples are amongst themselves arguing about who's the greatest disciple at the Lord's Supper. And you see at all of these suppers throughout the Gospels that there's something wrong. But then at the marriage supper, nothing's wrong. We're all dressed in white. We're all righteous. Every one of us, everyone in the body of Christ, to guarantee you're going to be at that wedding. You're the bride at that wedding. So you're not even going to be at like a distant table, you know, where they put you away in the back because they, you know, they invited you but didn't really know where, who to seat you with or something like that. We're all together. So what is my point about that? I forgot. No. Here on earth, no wedding, no marriage, no organization, no person is going to be perfect. None of us are perfect. No, no gathering is going to be perfect. Some will be better than others, and they should be. You know, we should do our, our very best to be holy. And as we revere God in His holy name, we will be. But none of us are going to get it right all the time. And by God, and it's happened, it's happened to me so many times, it happened to all of us many times, that you do something, even if it's not wrong, you just maybe said it the wrong way, and people get their feelings hurt, and, and then they attack you for it. Or you do something, yeah, very sinful, and people won't forgive you, and you get attacked for it. So what is your existence? It's not here. If, if your focus is just on yourself, and it's in no way condones sin, it's just saying that if your focus is so in your own little world, the existence to make Him holy, Yahweh or Yahweh to be holy, is to say my existence is Him. And then you'll get your eyes off of yourself and you'll be a far better person, a far better Christian. That's what it means to sanctify. His name. Now, getting more specific. Yavah Yireh, Genesis 22:14. And a free prize to know anybody who knows what happens in Genesis 22. <laughs> I have no prizes to give you, but uh, anyway. I was going to say, you could take an ornament off the tree. Uh, it just made me thought where I was, I was at my doctor's office uh, for my hip thing, and uh, we were done, and he's like, uh, um, he's like oh, we're, we're doing like a patient participation, and there's all these ornaments on the desk. And he said, you pick an ornament, and there's all this stuff. And he's a, he's a big Ducks fan, so almost all of them are little duck uh, Oregon duck ornaments. Anyway, I, I've got this Santa on a motorcycle thing. It looks pretty cool. And I'm I'm about to like leave with it. He's like, no, no. He's like, you're supposed to put it on the tree. And the, there's a tree right there that uh, the participation was to get the ornament, to put the ornament on the tree. And I was walking out the door with it. And so I don't know what made me think of that. <clears throat> Yavah Yireh means the Lord who provides. 
I could relate that to stealing ornaments, I guess, somehow. Right? The Lord provides everything we need. Where is Genesis 22? Where Jacob sacrifices his son. Um, and, uh, no, Jacob. What the heck am I talking about? Abraham. <laughs> Whew, at least I caught myself. Abraham sacrifices his son Isaac on Mount Moriah. And he's just about to do it where God says, Abraham, Abraham, wait. God, and, and God provides the sacrifice. And so this is the name that is given. Yavah, Yareg, God provides. Now, see, when you sanctify God's name, do you really put your faith completely in and set apart that, that God is going to provide all of my need? And this means that when things get tight or things get uh, looking like something bad's going to happen, whether it's financial or health-wise, relationship-wise, whatever, that God is going to provide and you put your faith in that. That is to sanctify that name. And there's many of them. They're all attributes of God. The next one is Yavah El Elyon, which means the Lord Most High. In Genesis 14.22, Abraham, again, in Genesis 14, gives God this name uh, when he is uh, uh, speaking with um, Melchizedek, uh, the, the king, priest Melchizedek in Genesis 14. But in Psalm 7 is where we want to go. And it's in the last line of Psalm 7. But I want to start with verse 1. It says, The Shagayon of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning Cush a Benjamite, O, o Lord my God, in you I have taken refuge. Save me from all those who pursue me and, del- and deliver me. Now you see that here David at the front of this psalm is praying, and he's praying that God, uh, uh, putting his confidence in the fact that he has taken refuge in God, and he prays for God to deliver him. David then prays that if he is guilty, that uh, to, he asks God to let his enemies hurt him. If he is guilty, he wants to suffer the consequences of it. He does not want to uh, not uh, suffer for his decisions. And he makes that clear. And then he calls on God to act in justice. And then he says this. Look at verse 10. He says, My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. Right, and so, again, this is... And uh, God is my protector. My shield is with God who saves the upright. And then he closes his prayer by giving God this name, the Most High. Now, and I say, you know, I did say before that only God gives himself these names, but I would, I would, uh, uh, what's the word? I would uh, normalize that with the fact that the, those who wrote the scripture are writing under uh, the inspiration of God. So, anyway, uh, look at Psalm 717. I will give thanks to the Lord according to his righteousness. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. The Lord Most High is Yavah El Elyon. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. All right, so Jesus is, again, pushing us to praise the name of God as we prayer as we pray daily we're confronted with this do we praise him is he the lord most high and and that would mean that 
you know, as I, who do I worship? Uh, who do I love? Who do I honor? Who do I revere? And it must be God alone. All right, go to Exodus 31. Got a few of these today. Now, if you could help me pronounce this one, I get the Yavah part. Uh, the next one is Mechadishkim. I, I don't know. I haven't taken Hebrew yet. That comes next year, so uh, I'm sure I'll get better at the pronunciations. But uh, again, how you pronounce them doesn't really matter. It's matter. What matters is that you know what they mean. And this is the Lord your sanctifier. So this is the one where you know this name and and God has sanctified me again this is a part of God's name to us that we need to revere and set apart is that I'm saved because of God I'm saved and and sanctified because of him I can only do that which is righteous in my good works and my living because of him therefore I have to depend upon him I cannot do this on my own when I say on my own we mean all alone in other words, I'm going to set aside God's will in His Word and I'm going to go about life on my own. And I can't, none of us can do it. So, uh, in uh, Yavah Mechadishkim, we have in Exodus 31 12, Exodus 30, 31 13, let's start in verse 12. Because this is about the Sabbath. Now, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, But as for you, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, You shall surely observe my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. See, now, when you read it in English, it seems like the word sanctified is separated from the name of God. It's in a, you know, it's like a, um, like the Lord is the subject and sanctify is the verb, but it's actually one name. And it's the Lord, your sanctifier. Uh, so we say, well, you know, we don't celebrate the Sabbath. We're not under the law. Right? Seventh-day Adventists celebrate the Sabbath. It's, it's not a, a church-age thing. We don't, we're not commanded to set one day a week aside to not work. But what we'll find out, especially when we get to the uh, petition of your will be done, is that obedience is the means by which we find peace in life. And it's through peace that we rest. And we'll see in that passage, it's in Hebrews 3 and 4, that God offers us rest on a day-by-day basis. But it doesn't mean that we don't do any work. Because God rested. He certainly did. But after six days of creation, then on the seventh day, God rested. Rest doesn't mean no work. Rest means that you've finished your work. And in the case of us, it's the whatever work God gives us to do. And there's quite a bit of it. So some have taken, well, Sabbath means I don't do anything. I'm just lazy. But we have so much work to do in service and prayer and in study and it's living this spiritual life, which is a wonderful life, but it's an active one. And once we've done what we've done, we rest. And this, in this rest, we have it because we've been obedient. If we've shirked God's will, how do we rest? Especially when we have the Holy Spirit inside who's nagging our conscience. 
which you know you felt it. But there's a, you know, there's, there's this, if I have not done God's will, do I find rest as a believer? Not, not much. Not much at all. We find ourselves worrying. We find ourselves shamed, ashamed of ourselves, whether we express it or not. It's in our souls. We find ourselves, you know, ashamed and, and worried and concerned and fearful. And, but when we do God's will, and again, we're not sinless. We confess when we fall. But to do God's will is to find rest. Now, in that, well, we'll see in that context of that rest that God tells us, come to my throne that is a place of grace and mercy, and you will find it. In other words, God says, I know you're tempted. I know this is a struggle. I know this is hard for you. And so he tells us to pray in the context of resting. And that is the Sabbath. The Lord your sanctifier is the one who has set you apart for him to do his will so that you can truly find rest. All right, so that's Yavah Mekadishkim. And then you have Yavah Nisi. Yavah Nisi, I think it's Nisi, is the Lord my miracle. That's in Exodus 17:15. If you know this passage, uh, it, it's the place where uh, the Jews are fighting the Amalekites and Moses has to hold his hands in the air. If Moses' hands are in the air, Israel is winning. But when his hands get tired and his hands go down, he's got that staff with him, you know, that he just split the Red Sea just not too long ago. And he's holding that up. As his hands get tired and fall down, the enemy of Israel starts to win. And so two guys, Aaron and Hur, hold his hands up, and Israel is victorious. Moses builds an altar at that place, and he calls it Yavah Nisi, the Lord my miracle. What does this mean? Again, set apart this name in your heart. Who's going to do the miracles in your life? Well, certainly not you, or nor anybody else. The Lord is a miracle worker. You say, well, you know, I've prayed for my health, and I've prayed for this and that, and he didn't change it. That doesn't mean he hasn't done miracles in your life, because what God is really after is that your soul prospers. What God is really after is that you, you come to have miracles happen spiritually. And that when things go wrong physically, that you actually experience the miracle of having peace, of having contentment, of having joy in your life, you know, of really being a conqueror. That, for us, is a miracle. All right, continuing in Exodus. It's, it's interesting how a lot of these names are in Exodus because each of these names, God is revealing himself to his people. And in Exodus, you know, they have this 40 years in the desert by which they fail. And why do they fail? Because they will not put faith in God and what they hear. So this is Yavah Rapha which in Exodus 15:26 is where God made the bitter waters sweet. And this means God who heals you. They had no water. And the water they found was bitter. It was something wrong with it, probably brackish. And God made the water clear and sweet and clean. And then God said, I am the one who heals you of all your diseases. 
so we think to ourselves, well, does that mean I get perfect health? Well, that's, that's a teaching in that positive faith movement that is pretty popular, but that's not at all what it means. It means he heals you in your heart, in your soul. I mean, that's where the real scars are. That's Exodus 15:26. And then you got Yavah Roi, and that is the Lord my shepherd, which from and that's in Psalm 23:1, very popular, the Lord is my shepherd, but because in English and we have to to make the sentence make sense in English, we put the verb is in there. So we say the Lord is my shepherd, but really uh, there's no verb is in there. And so it's a name, the Lord my shepherd. I shall not want. All right, then Yavah Shalom. We, most people know what Shalom means. It's the Lord our peace. In Judges 6.24, this is where God appears to Gideon. And in Judges 6, the Midianites are exacting an amazing and very hurtful oppression upon the people of Israel. And uh, Gideon is a nobody. In the, he's a nobody in the lowest family, in the lowest tribe of Israel. He's from the tribe of Manasseh, not, not a, a powerful or popular, not a powerful military tribe for sure. And uh, God calls Gideon, and if you know the story, and you probably do, that Gideon defeats a huge army with 300 guys. <clears throat> the Lord says to Gideon, I will be with you, and I will not desert you, and you will defeat Gideon. The Lord appears to Gideon and promises him that he will be with him. That is, and so what is Yavah Shalom? Peace. Now, where are you going to get peace? It is from God alone. And then we have Yavashrivigoli. I have no idea how to pronounce that. But uh, it is the Lord, my rock and redeemer. Let's look at that one. Look at Psalm 19. Go to Psalm 19, 14. We set apart God as the only source of our peace. Therefore, we glorify him. If I say in my heart, which this will come out to people, by the way, my peace, my joy, my power, my intelligence, my wisdom, my discernment, my courage, my contentment, my ability to forgive, my ability to love, my ability to have joy. I think I said that one. I like joy. I'll say it twice. It comes from God and God alone. And this manifests itself to people if it is true in our hearts. And again, Jesus is saying, holy is your name. It's like His name is all of these things. His name is His character, which is what He does for us. And in Psalm 19, the context is the law of God. Now we uh, look at, I didn't put it in my notes, but it's right here. So look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. 
The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, much fine gold than much fine gold. Now, this beautiful psalm, credit C.S. Lewis, he thinks this is some of the finest literature ever written, uh, is that the law of the Lord, which we still have, you know, which is the, the law, the, the things and commands that we obey, they do these things for us, those laws, those commandments. They restore the soul. They make us wise. They make us happy, rejoicing the heart. They enlighten our eyes, meaning give us discernment. Um, they're righteous altogether. They're clean. They endure forever. And they're more desirable than gold. Which means to us, in such a material world, that that is what we must desire above all things. And if we don't, and we know this, that whatever we truly desire is what we're going to eventually be after. And so uh, at the last line, right, it is the last line, in verse 14, uh, this is David. David writes, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You have saved me, and you are my permanent foundation, my rock. Let my words, the words of my mouth and whatever I think, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable. But again, what's the context? How do I know acceptable? How do I find acceptable? It's in the law of the Lord. And you see, it's, it's tied to his name, which would make sense. But we think, you know, it, when I think about it, you say, well, wouldn't this be tied to the law? Wouldn't it, shouldn't it be like the Lord of knowledge or the Lord of wisdom or Lord the lawgiver? But it's Lord, Redeemer, and Rock. You know, the one who is the one who saved me and the one who's given me a firm foundation. He is the one whose precepts and laws and commandments I will follow. All right, a couple more. Go to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 23. Tis Canu. Maybe. The T.S. is said together, if I recall. Sid, I can't say it. Yavah, Sid, Dekenu. Uh, if anybody, if you're listening, I apologize. You can go online and look at the notes and see the spelling and take a shot at it yourself. Um, but anyway, I didn't really, you know, I guess I could have gone on YouTube. They have all kinds of uh, YouTube things where they pronounce these crazy words for you. I didn't do it. Uh, so this is the Lord our righteousness in Jeremiah 23, 6 and 33, 16. You'll see the reason why I want to read those. And then Yavah Shema. That was a nice easy one. And Shema means that God is in our presence. And that's in Ezekiel 48, 35. Again, also very significant. Look at uh, Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. This is the Lord our righteousness. The prophet writes, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. 
And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. So, uh, of course, who is this righteous branch of David that will reign as king? Is the Lord Jesus Christ. The days are coming when the Lord will reign. And what is his name? The Lord our righteousness. Righteousness is doing the right thing in the right way. Um, And the Lord is the source of that. We know in the New Testament that as believers, the Lord has given us his righteousness. It's imputed to us. And therefore, for us, again, sanctifying his name is that righteousness is with the Lord. If I follow him, I will be righteous. If I do his will, I will be righteous. It all comes from the king. My king is firmly established at the right hand of God. This, and Jeremiah writes, this is far in the future for him. Jeremiah is a prophet looking into a misty future in which he sees something that is a branch of David, a righteous branch, but he doesn't see what we see. And again, we have nobody, nobody even thought to paint a picture or to even write down a description of what the Lord Jesus Christ looked like. Nobody did. And it's probably a decree of God somehow, but you know, nobody even thought of it. So how do, we, how do we see him so clearly? Of course, is through the Gospels and through his word. And by living this life, see him more and more clearly. You will become more and more proud of your king. You will become more and more in love with your king. You will become more and more impressed by your king. And you will more and more want to be like him. And you have everything that you need which is a gift of God, to be, be like him. One of the things that was given to you to be like him is you've been imputed with righteousness, so you can be righteous. All right, Jeremiah thirty-three fourteen. <clears throat> so the, the first one, the Lord our righteousness, is concerned with the, the coming of the king who is Jesus Christ. And then in verse 14, chapter 33, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. There's two different names there because the kingdom had already split in a civil war. The north was Israel, the south was Judah. In those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth and he shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. In those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell in safety. And this is the name by which she shall be called. The Lord is our righteousness. The she here would be Jerusalem. She is called, the Lord is our righteousness. Now, when is this? This is the prophecy of the millennial age, of the thousand-year reign of Christ. So the fulfillment of the covenants to Israel is the faithfulness of God to keep his word. Again, we set that apart in our hearts, that his name is righteous. What he will do for Israel is in all those promises are exactly what he's going to do for us. He will fulfill his promises to us. Therefore, the name of our Lord is righteous. And we need to make that holy. Righteousness is him, not anything else. Now, uh, also on the board is Yavah Shema. That's in Ezekiel 48.35. And that name is also given to the new Jerusalem in the millennium. So this city has two names here, one in Jeremiah and one in Ezekiel. 
and that is that uh, Lord our righteousness and the Lord is present, meaning the Lord dwells this city. So that prophecy is about the actual dwelling of the Lord on the throne of David for a thousand years, literally on the earth in the fulfillment of the covenants given to Israel. Now, for us, the Lord indwells us. We're the temple of God. The Lord is certainly present with us. And again, do we see that as the most wonderful and valuable thing? When Jesus gives us this first petition, uh, our Father who art in heaven, who is in heaven, that's my old Catholic upbringing, my fa- our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Set apart in my heart. And I, this is a sampling. This, I, I think, I've looked up somewhere. Is there something like, if you take them all from all the names of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Father throughout the Bible, is something like 600 of them. 600 different names. By which, all of them refer to some character of God, some characteristic. And by them, he is revealing himself. So his name means the revealed person of God. Do we keep it holy, sanctify it? And when we pray, we are forced to consider that. All right, one more. Go to Isaiah 64. Last one. Yava Avinu. Avinu, Avinu, tomato, tomato. Yava Avinu. And this, I saved this one for last for the reason of the Lord's Prayer. The Lord our Father in Isaiah 64, 8. The, the opening of this chapter in Isaiah, the prophet is confessing the unfaithfulness of Israel, the, uh, their inability to obey, which is really not just the Jews, but it's everybody. You know, It's a problem with the human race, with all, with all um, nations. But here, notice what he writes in verse 8, Isaiah 64, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. And this coupled with, there's one who would call God his Father in Psalm 89, I think we went there Sunday, but in Psalm 89, the David calls God his father, but in that psalm it's clear that David is writing about Jesus Christ. But here we see an our father, and this is coming from the nation of Israel. But none of them did this. Only Jesus, as a Jew, was calling God his father. They wanted to kill him for it. They thought it was absolute blasphemy. They thought if you called God your father, you made yourself equal with God. But, you know, did they remember this in the prophet Isaiah? You are our father. But he says, well, you know, is it in the way that Jesus meant it? Well, it's something that we should all consider. But as we, consi- as we continue, he says, we, they, the prophet says, we are the clay and you are our potter. And all of us are the work of your hand. We say, well, they're referring to Father as creator, right? We're the clay, you're the potter. Which is true, um, but with Israel, it goes farther than that. (laughs) Farther, farther than that. Uh, He will be their father. 
to every believer. That's why Jesus said, look, you pray our Father. It shocked every Jew for that instruction, to call God our Father. And yet, you know, now in the church, this has been happening for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years that people take it for granted. And unfortunately, because, you know, the Lord's Prayer is known by a lot of people, uh, even unbelievers, and they just kind of spew it and or know it, and it's not revered. So, like the next line, our Father, but really, it's our Father in heaven. Already we're stuck with not, we're stuck with revering Him, because in heaven means in the place of holiness. And then the next line, the, the first petition Holy be your name. Um, and so Jesus, you know, it, uh, the Father, these words should be holy ground. You know, when we pray them, we need not, we definitely must not go as far as the Jews and say, well, the, the name of God is so holy, we're not even going to say it. That's too far. And it's ceremonial, it's not real. What is real is reverence. And the reverence of our Father. And that's what is here. And so in all of these names in the Old Testament, and there's much more, God is revealing Himself. He is revealing something of His nature, of His being, of His character, and of His attributes to us. And so your name stands for all of that. Our Father in Heaven, Holy is your name. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word, and thank you for the blessing of the truth. We ask, Father, that through your word that each of us would be enlightened in and of our own souls so that we may go forth in praise of you and in honor of you and to revere your holy name. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.